0: You guys, welcome to episode 111 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly not-so-well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McClure. You may remember me from such episodes as Brittany and Justin Part 1, and here we are at Part 2, the better half, <laughs> if you ask me. Um, we're going to be talking today about, very extensively, about uh, a little lady that means a whole lot to me named Brittany Jean Spears, and I am very, very, very excited. I told you guys we're doing something experimental. Let me just reiterate, just in case uh, this is confusing. I'm breaking this episode down into three parts because there's way too much information to go into one episode or even two. So next week, I'm going to basically devote the entire hour to the highs and lows of Brittany and Justin's relationship. This week, I really wanted to give some backstory and go into Britney's childhood. Um, I wanted to talk about her dad. I want to talk about her mom. I want to talk about, you know, how abusive her household was and how poor they were. And um, really specifically that like 1998, 1999, like sort of sweet spot right after her getting discovered and um, going straight into like a Shirley Temple, you know, like, just really fucking intense situation, and specifically, I really wanted to talk about this today because I feel like there's a lot of misinformation being thrown around in reference to Brittany. There are, are a lot of people, I've been saying this um, a lot recently, but there's a, there are a lot of people with a lot of opinions about what's happening with her that don't really know what they're talking about because... Mm-hmm you know, the free Britney hashtag just sort of, like, caught their eye, and now all of a sudden they're interested in the mental health of this girl that has been struggling for over 20 years. Um So even though this episode is going to be super dark, I can just tell you that right now, this is not, like, a light, fluffy episode in any stretch of the imagination. Um, It's also, I feel, kind of necessary. Like, if I, I feel like I'm doing some sort of thing to help contribute to uh the what i can what i perceive to be mass confusion about what's happening in britney's life and i'm not saying that i'm like you know in the fucking hotel with her i don't you know what i mean i don't have my ear to the door but i do think that knowing these things and being more informed about how she was raised and things that happened in her childhood helps understand what's happening now a little bit more it does for me at least um and then I also just wanted to uh, thank you guys last week for sending me so many messages about my depression. I'm so embarrassed that I, like, announced that. Like, I didn't even—I, re- like, went back and re-listened to the episode to figure out what I've already talked about. And I was like, oh, yeah, I announced that I'm depressed. Like, how embarrassing. You know, the, the tiger mom, the Aries in me doesn't really allow me to do things like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But you guys sent me some really cute messages, some really sweet ones, some really funny ones. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that loud and clear, heard, and, uh, yeah, but nothing cheers me up more, like I said, than talking about Britney, and I didn't really get to do that last week, so, you're actually gonna be getting, like, the best version of me today, and you guys know that, you guys know how different I am when I talk about Britney, like, when I'm talking about other people, I'm fine, I, I, I do my dot, my job, I do my due diligence, whatever, but when I'm talking about Britney, I really get lost in it, so, like, expect me to just, at a certain point, float away, um, i mentioned last week that i really wanted to talk about this specific sort of like kiss it smoochy era of britney's life or pageantry era like we did with justin um like i said it, it seems to have reemerged. a lot of people are talking about this a lot of people are talking about how she grew up especially given what's been going on with her dad and i mentioned um i mentioned it all the time sort of in passing i've mentioned it in previous episodes i've mentioned it all um But I I really want to go deep into Brittany's childhood, the abuse, um, the crazy way she was raised, her dad's, you know, addiction issues, um, the extreme financial strife that they were under that people don't talk about ever. And I also want to eventually talk about, you know, the weight of her relationship with Justin and the importance of him sort of being in her life at this time specifically. Um, And just sort of like the like what he represented in her life for so long, you know, like this pillar of like um, stability and like a future of happiness and safety. And, uh, you know, I I said last week that I think that they are two people who were, um, or, uh, what's the term? Fuck Liz, where are you? Uh, they were fuck trauma bonded. They were trauma bonded. These are two people that like really were put through hell together. And, you know, they had their own little protective bubble. So when that was gone, it, under it, you know, it makes sense that it had such an effect on her life. Um, And before we even really get into the Britney of it all, I do want to talk about Jamie and Lynn's extremely unstable marriage, because there are some things that the general public never seems to mention when it comes to them, especially when they're throwing around theories about Britney's mental health. And I think this plays a really massive factor in how things sort of played out for her. Uh, Because Brittany was born in an extremely abusive, very poverty-stricken household. And she comes from a long lineage of people who used drugs and alcohol to treat uh, mental health. Uh, Jamie is actually, I mean, as you know, he's a former alcoholic and pill addict. Um, His mom actually committed suicide when he was 14, and she also suffered you know, extreme bouts of depression and anxiety. So on both her mom and dad's side, a lot of the women um, had mental health, but like there's actually, there's a thing called the Spears curse. And it's this, I mean, you can Google it yourself, but it's like a a long lineage of women in the Spears family who suffered extreme issues with mental health. Um, The year before Brittany was born, Lynn actually, can I just also say, by the way, how fucking difficult it is to search for facts about Jamie and Lynn Spears when there is a Jamie Lynn Spears as their fucking offspring. You find yourself on page 19 of every Google search you do. Um, But the year before Britney was born, Lynn actually filed for a divorce from Jamie because she found out that he was sleeping with other women. And in a 2008 uh, Mirror UK article uh, that where they talked about the book that she wrote after Britney's breakdown, um, they said the legal papers allege that Jamie was seen in a Kentwood, Louisiana bar with a local woman and was observed hugging, kissing, and fondling the woman. From there, Lynn writes, uh, they went to the Spears trailer where he committed adultery during late evening hours of December 25th and the early morning hours of December 26th lynn also sought a restraining order her petition says she feared the defendant will become angry when she's when served with the papers and that he will harass and or physically harm her especially if he has been drinking um jamie was physically abusive to lynn in front of Brittany and her siblings and you know that happened throughout their entire childhood basically uh Jamie's brother actually did a, had a quote in that Mirror UK article where he basically said that they had, like, an almost nightly ritual of Jamie getting hammered, and then he would scream at Lynn and hit her, and that would eventually lead to her, like, crumpled up on the floor crying, and him crying on the floor and begging her to not leave him. And, you know, that's the house that they grew up in. Her brother—or his brother said, uh, One time Jamie was drunk and tried to drive off with Brittany in the car— she was no more than five years old, and I tried to stop him, so I reached into the truck and grabbed the keys from the ignition, and he punched me. We got right into it right there by the car, fighting right in front of Brittany. Brittany was jumping up and down and screaming, and Lynn had to run out and get her inside. We Spears men are known for fighting. If Brittany happened to be there, then so be it. Another time, I was in the house, and Jamie walked in drunk and called Lynn a bad name. She was in the kitchen drinking water, and he grabbed the glass, walked into the lounge, and just hurled it at her face. It was rough, but the sad thing was that it had become a normal life. At first, Britney was a scared child and you'd catch her crying, but she reached the stage where she just would walk off as if nothing was happening. And as she got older, she would scream and curse at her parents to try and get them to stop fighting. He also mentioned that Britney's anxiety skyrocketed during this period, and her parents thought that she was hyperactive, and they would tell her to sort of put all that energy into her performing, which she did which became something that she's done her entire life until she couldn't anymore. Um, but she was actually just a bundle of nerves because of her anxiety. And this eventually led to her being medicated because when she became famous, her anxiety was so bad um, that she like couldn't sleep through the night. And those are all things that we'll talk about. But I've always said for many years that, you know, Brittany did, reach, like, that very specific level of fame where her story is one that's, it's been told so many times, it's been retold incorrectly so many times, uh, that we all sort of believe this sort of, like, veneer, wrapped-in-a-bow version of how she came to be, very similar to, like, a Michael Jackson or Shirley Temple or Judy Garland or Marilyn Monroe, um, I also always mention that Britney is, like, a living legend in the sense that she has a life story, like, somebody who didn't make it. Like, she has the life story of somebody like an Amy Winehouse or a Michael Jackson or Judy Garland or Mer- a Merlin Rowe. Somebody who you talk about, like, as a past figure, but she's still here. Like, somehow, this, like, Pet cemetery version of Britney who's been put through absolute hell, um... But she has an iconic rags-to-riches story, and the thing about those stories specifically is that they're always so much more interesting when you do the research and find out the truth behind um, the sort of, like, soundbite edits of their life, you know what I mean? Um, Britney's Poverty Story is one that's been told for years, and I would say since, like, 1998 when we were first introduced to her as a pop figure, that she was born, uh, you know, in the South, eating crawfish and you know, loving her daddy, and <laughs> working summers at her granny's seafood restaurant, boiling crawfish, and she just loves singing and acting and performing and flipping. You couldn't get her to stop singing. She wouldn't stop. She had to be a star, which is just, like, complete fucking VH1 bullshit, you know? Britney actually used to say in interviews all the time, uh, and I remember specifically one with Diane Sawyer, where she says people don't realize how poor we actually were. This wasn't like a You know, this was, like, actually, like, Shania Twain poor. Uh, Lynn and Jamie lived in a super tiny trailer in Simpsons Trailer Park community in Kentwood before they married, and then right before Brittany was born, they moved to a small house, a ranch-style home near the same area. But by that time, Jamie owned um, a construction company, and uh, he had a, a, a gym that he was also in charge of, and... His gambling addiction at that point was at its height, so on top of the fact that he was also drinking and pill-popping, all of their bills went unpaid, constantly. Um, This meant they either didn't eat, or Jamie would literally go hunt for squirrel and rabbit to feed the family. Like, they were like Beverly, you know, yeah, like Beverly Hillbillies rich, like podunk old-school like swamp, no, not rich. What am I saying? They were old school, like swamp poor, like there's nothing in the fridge. I'd better go find us a squirrel or else we're not going to eat anything. I got to go wrestle us something up. Um, And by the time Britney had signed her deal in 1998, they had $31,000 worth of tax debt. And that also didn't include like their actual bill debt. And The crazy thing was that Lynn herself never actually worked. Even during this time when she's seeing her kids eat squirrel and there's nothing in the refrigerator and she still didn't work. She stayed at home and she put all of her energy into making her oldest daughter a star, basically from the moment she was born. Brittany just so happened to be born with some talent and her mom saw her as this thing that would save them from the life that they were all stuck in. Uh, by the time Brittany was three, she had already enrolled in choir, she was in dance, she was in gymnastics. At six, uh, she was pretty well known in the area as a pageant kid and, uh, you know, she had won Miss Talent Central, whatever that means. Um, you know, she was the kid that would have, like, local film crews, like, show up at her school and, like, film her because she was going to be on the news the next day. You know what I mean? Um, She was supposed to be the next big thing to come out. The only big thing really to ever come out of Kentwood. And the entire town was sort of collectively waiting for and like rooting for Brittany's, you know, big break. Like they were all invested in this little girl that was like the shining star of this podunk town. It's also worth mentioning that, you know, by this point, Lynn was basically trying every possible route she could uh, for her to become famous. And, you know she loved to sing but you know they hadn't really explored that as an option yet there was a short period where they thought maybe she would do gymnastics and like end up at the olympics or something um until she confessed to her mom that she was burnt out and wasn't really enjoying it cuz she was doing like 20 activities per day until one made her a star basically and i watched Britney's episode of VH1's Driven from the early 2000s i think it came out like I want to say it was like maybe 2002. And I was struck by this very specific moment where they talk about how, you know, for lack of better term, driven she was. How, you know, she would never say no to anyone or, you know, she would rehearse for hours and hours a day on top of going to school and doing gymnastics and cheerleading and vocal lessons, you know, from a Broadway prep teacher and pageants on top of sports, because she was so driven, (laughs) and how Lynn would, like, drive her 90 miles to dance class three days a week, and, you know, Brittany didn't mind, because she was so driven, and, you know, that's something that we're so used to hearing when it comes to her origin story pre-2007, right, that, like, you know, this little nine-year-old girl was just so, you know, hell-bent on being a star, and, like, now it's a bit laughable to think that this kid Was like, like writing inspirational messages in her mirror with lipstick every morning. And like, just like living like a Reese Witherspoon in election fantasy until she makes her way to Hollywood. She's nine. Lynn Spears was the purest definition of a fucking Patsy Ramsey, a sparkle baby, fucking point your toes, you know, don't forget to smile and make eye contact with the judges, stage mom who, like, pinches your fat on your sides and squints her eyebrows at it. You know what I mean? Like that kind of mom. Um, And she was living through her toddler, you know, not only as like an escape from her shitty life, but as a meal ticket to get out of it. And it also makes me wonder like what Brian was doing during this whole time. Like, where was Brian Spears? Was he just like raising himself and like being stuck at home with fucking Jamie, his abusive dad Who was changing Jamie Lynn? Like, well, you know what I mean? Where were her other children during this time that Lynn was 100% devoted 90% of her day to Britney's career at eight? Um, We talked last week about Star Search and the importance of that show for kids who wanted to be famous during that time. If you've never seen Britney's Star Search uh, video, like, I don't know how you are a person older than, like, 25 and you've never seen a video clip of Britney on Star Search, but like, dear do your, do your work. You kidding? Get on YouTube. Are you joking right now? It's everything. Everything of her singing the Judds. <laughs> Love can build a breach. <laughs> I can do anything. And it's old Growl Britney, too. She loved a Judd ballad, which I'm like, I don't know why that makes me laugh so hard. Um, Britney also starred in Ruthless as Tina. Uh, She and Natalie Portman were uh, understudies for Laura Bell Bundy together. And I also just want to point it out and be very clear that I obviously, I think that Britney was an extremely talented child. And I do think that she was driven in a way that is um, unnatural for a child, right? Like, it's, it's not normal for a little girl to be so hyper-focused on her career. I'm not saying that Britney didn't want to be doing any of these things. I know that she did. But <laughs> I know she did. But at the same time, what I'm saying is the reason behind why she was so driven is dark. Because this is a little girl who thinks that she needs to make it in order to pay her kid, her parents' mortgage, and you know bail her dad out of the thirty-one thousand dollars debt that they're in, and get out of their bum fuck town where his, her mom, or dad is beating the shit out of her mom and throwing glasses across the room, and you know what I mean, and she's having to run out of her house and you know seek refuge in her aunt's trailer every day because. Her dad is so scary and abusive like that. You know, that's the part of it that's dark to me. I'm not saying that she wasn't talented. And when you look at videos of Britney performing as a kid, she does have like a, a creepy work ethic. You know what I mean? It's weird. Um, but just the reasons behind it make me really sad. Um, and like even during the segments of the show where they talk about her, you know, audition for Mickey Mouse Club, like you had to be nine, um, by the way, to like even into the room and the talent scout for the show, uh, says that he'll never forget when she walked in in the room and she said, hi, I'm Britney Spears from Kentonwood, Louisiana. And when he said, okay, Brittany, how old are you? She said eight, nine. <laughs> and his response was, you know what? She wanted to be in the room. She wanted to be in the room. She was so driven. And it's like, no fucker. Her mom drove her. Used all their bill money on gas and said, "Now, Britney, when they when they ask you your age, you know what to say, right? You're gonna say you're nine, Britney. Be a good girl." Like she didn't concoct a, a scheme to say she was nine instead of eight. Um, I mentioned last week that after the Mickey Mouse Club, everybody from that cast like kind of returned to their small towns and transitioned back into like a pre-Disney life. Um, and this was like really the last that the last time in her life, I guess you could say that she really lived any facet of like a normal existence. She took off so quickly when she pursued music that there was no gradual transition to her becoming famous. She just like became one of the most famous people in the world and never wasn't for the rest of her life. Um, During this time, she was homecoming queen and she was the point guard on her basketball team. Like truly just a normal girl in the how you know she would never say no to anyone or you know she would rehearse for hours and hours a day on top of going to school and doing gymnastics and cheerleading and vocal lessons you know from a broadway prep teacher and pageants on top of sports because she was so driven (laughs) and how Lynn would, like, drive her 90 miles to dance class three days a week and, you know, Brittany didn't mind because she was so driven. And, you know, that's something that we're so used to hearing when it comes to her origin story pre-2007, right? That, like, you know, this little nine-year-old girl was just so, you know, hell-bent on being a star. And, like, now it's a bit laughable to think that this kid was, like, like writing inspirational messages in her mirror with lipstick every morning like just like living like a Reese Witherspoon in election fantasy until she makes her way to Hollywood she's nine Lynn Spears was the purest definition of a fucking Patsy Ramsey a sparkle baby fucking point your toes you know don't forget to smile and make eye contact with the judges stage mom who like pinches your fat on your sides and squints her eyebrows at it. You know what I mean? Like that kind of mom. Um, And she was living through her toddler, you know, not only as like an escape from her shitty life, but as a meal ticket to get out of it. And it also makes me wonder like what Brian was doing during this whole time. Like where was Brian Spears? Was he just like raising himself and like being stuck at home with fucking Jamie, his abusive dad Who was changing Jamie Lynn? Like, well, you know what I mean? Where were her other children during this time that Lynn was 100% devoted 90% of her day to Britney's career at eight? Um, We talked last week about Star Search and the importance of that show for kids who wanted to be famous during that time. If you've never seen Britney's Star Search uh, video, like, I don't know how you are a person older than, like, 25 and you've never seen a video clip of Britney on Star Search, but like, do your, digital, do your work. Are you kidding? Get on YouTube. Are you joking right now? It's everything. Everything of her singing the Judds. <laughs> Love can build a breach. I can do anything. And it's old Growl Britney, too. She loved a Judd ballad, which I'm like, I don't know why that makes me laugh so hard um britney also starred in ruthless as tina uh she and natalie portman were uh, understudies for laura bell bundy together and i also just want to point it out and be very clear that i obviously i think that britney was an extremely talented child and i do think that she was driven in a way that is um unnatural for a child right like it's it's Not normal for a little girl to be so hyper-focused on her career. I'm not saying that Britney didn't want to be doing any of these things. I know that she did. But (laughs) I know she did. But at the same time, what I'm saying is the reason behind why she was so driven is dark. Because this is a little girl who thinks that she needs to make it in order to pay her kid, her parents' mortgage, and you know, bail her dad out of the thirty-one thousand dollars debt that they're in, and get out of their bumfuck town where his, her mom, or dad is beating the shit out of her mom and throwing glasses across the room, and you know what I mean, and she's having to run out of her house and you know seek refuge in her aunt's trailer every day because her dad is so scary and abusive. Like, that, you know, that's the part of it that's dark to me. I'm not saying that she wasn't talented, and when you look at videos of Britney performing as a kid, she does have, like, a, a creepy work ethic, you know what I mean? It's weird. Um, but just the reasons behind it make me really sad. Um, and, like, even during the segments of the show where they talk about her you know, audition for Mickey Mouse Club, like, you had to be nine, um, by the way, to, like, even into the room. And the talent scout for the show, uh, says that he'll never forget when she walked into the room and she said, hi, I'm Britney Spears from Kentonwood, Louisiana. And when he said, okay, oh, Britney, how old are you? She said eight, nine. <laughs> and his response was, you know what? She wanted to be in the room. She wanted to be in the room. She was so driven. And it's like, no fucker, her mom drove her, used all their bill money on gas, and said, "Now, Brittany, when they when they ask you your age, you know what to say, right? You're gonna say you're nine, Brittany. Be a good girl." Like she didn't concoct a, a scheme to say she was nine instead of eight. Um, I mentioned last week that after the Mickey Mouse Club, everybody from that cast like kind of returned to their small towns and transitioned back into like a pre-Disney life. Um and this was like really the last that the last time in her life, I guess you could say that she really lived any facet of like a normal existence. She took off so quickly when she pursued music that there was no gradual transition to her becoming famous. She just like became one of the most famous people in the world and never wasn't for the rest of her life um, during this time she was homecoming queen and she was. The point guard on her basketball team like truly just a normal girl in the south with her shirt tied up eating crawfish you know at crawfish bowls and apparently wild in the fuck out like can we talk for a second about britney's like teenage upbringing so obviously britney's like you know we've talked pretty extensively on this podcast about britney's sexuality and the the role that that's kind of played in her you know in the way that we view her and her career Ooh, Kawia, hey, speech impediment. Um, And her music, whatever. But one thing that we don't talk about very often is how it factored into her life before she became famous. So how did this, like, 15-year-old girl become this, like, Lolita sex kitten? And what was she doing before that that led her um, into even knowing what that looked like? And when it came to boys... Brittany basically had no rules, if anything, her parents really pushed her well Lynn really pushed her to start relationships with older guys if it meant she would gain something from it and It's been reported very heavily for many years that when she was like fourteen, her mom pressured her to become a cheerleader so that she could start dating slash having sex with um this eighteen year old eighteen uh, year old football player from her high school who was, who was super popular. Um, He had a family that had, like, a little bit of money in comparison, and because it, you know, it would make her look good, it would make her more popular, and it would look good for the Spears family, to the community. It's also been reported that around the same time, she had this rotating door of boys that were allowed to basically spend as much time in her bedroom as They wanted. Like sometimes for several days. They just like wouldn't leave. Um, and this included Justin. Brittany and Justin actually had a bedroom when they were kids in Lynn's home that was like locked and away from the world where her and her the love of her life at like 14 basically had like a little apartment in her bedroom. Um And this is all by the way, while her mom is cooking up this like good, wholesome Christian virgin persona for her daughter to carry through life like a fucking ball and chain in her book uh, lynn actually admitted that she knew britney was having sex with her boyfriend reggie which isn't like a ma- i mean look she was 14 years old whatever like that's not what i'm judging but I, it's like to then put your daughter in a position where she has to lie about all the things that you've allowed her to do all the things that you've made her feel is normal if anything pressured her into doing like you pressure her to hook up with a football player because it'll make you a more like desirable stage mom in your swamp town. But then when she becomes famous, she has to lie about it. It's just like it's just gross. Um, Brittany and her brother Brian were also allowed to start drinking when they were fourteen um, in their parents' home, as long as well when Brittany was fourteen, Brian's five years older. Uh, in her parents' home as long as Lynn was there. And according to Lynn, by the time Brittany turned 16, it had gotten completely out of control, and she started, like, frequenting bars in New Orleans with her brother. This is also said to be the first time that she had tried, like, cocaine and weed when she was 16. Now, by this time, Insync was already formed, and the band Innocence, who we mentioned last week, was in the process of coming together. It was actually Justin's mom who created the girl group with Lou Pearlman. Uh, they flew Britney out to Orlando to see if she would mesh with the girls over a period of a weekend. And by the end of the weekend, Britney and her mom wanted nothing to do with the group. Um, they were noticing that the girls didn't get along, and that there was a lot of, like, cattiness happening already and competitiveness already going on which like is hilarious because they weren't even really formed yet like they already hated each other and the band was barely together uh and little did these girls know that they would be basically throwing the rest of their careers away by signing that contract uh britney dodged a major major bullet and they decided you know we're gonna go and try and do this on our own and after it was decided that britney would be joining wouldn't be joining the girl group Lynn reached out to none other than Larry Rudolph, who she had been sort of like running into throughout the years and passing. Um, she knew him as like, you know, an entertainment lawyer that people talked about a lot. And it was also made clear at this point that Larry, by the way, was an attorney and nothing more. I can't stress that enough. I've said it once, and I'll say it 45,000 times. Larry Rudolph was never responsible for Britney Incorporated. People credit Larry with everything when it comes to Britney, that, like, Larry was the visionary and that he was, you know, he's, like, the reason that she's accomplished all these things. Larry was a lawyer, not a manager, and he did help manage her career, but... He never did it alone. And ironically, Britney's career, in my opinion, went to shit when he started managing her by himself. Um when you look back at the at Britney's sort of like trajectory, um, especially like during this time, Larry was working with a man named Johnny Wright, who I've also mentioned on this podcast before. And I make sure to mention him at every chance I possibly can when I'm talking about Britney um on, on the podcast because. He was the actual brains behind this whole operation. If you Google image him Johnny Wright with a W, you will recognize his face. Even if you didn't know who he was, you'll rec- you've seen him before. Uh, he was a creative, and he was somebody who could not only like spearhead business deals and contracts and stuff, but he also was somebody who could like visualize a tour and had a hand in wardrobe and in hair and like makeup. Like, he was very multifaceted when it came to running Britney Incorporated. And he's responsible for the best years, what you would consider to be the peak of Britney's career. That, like, you know, 1998 to, like, 2005 era of her just, like, riding high. That was all him. And um, Johnny was also the manager for New Kids on the Block. And in the process of packaging and developing sync is when Britney was sort of introduced into the mix. And it's ironic because he still manages Justin. And uh, he went on to, basically, when Britney and Justin split, he sort of ended up having to choose, obviously. And he kind of chose like the NSYNC route, which makes sense. Britney's team was fucking spiraling at that point. But To give you some context just to like make this make sense, Larry managed Britney's career by himself for the very first time in 2013 when Britney Jean was released. Do you get it or no? If you don't, then that's on you. If you do, then thank you. Um so Larry flew her out to New York where she auditioned for a bunch of labels, and they all ended up passing on her. I want to say it was like Sony and Mercury Records. Um, which is when I heard that, like immediately I was like, oh my God, can you imagine a life where Tommy Mottola like got his hands on Britney? Oh my God. Um, but Larry was kind of reaching out to Lynn, you know, during each, uh, each interview and each, uh, audition and saying, you know, it's okay. It's, it's normal. They don't get it. We'll eventually find a label that gets it. They just don't understand her. They don't get what we're trying to do. And then eventually he contacted her and said, Jive Records gets it. Like, they love Britney. They want to sign her. And a little fun fact for you. This is something that I can almost guarantee that you probably didn't know. Because I just learned it uh, the other day myself as well. Um, I learned it actually from my new favorite YouTube channel. It's called Trash Theory. And if you enjoyed this podcast, like, you should definitely check him out. Um, he does some really interesting videos about just, like, he does music videos. Like, they're, it's, like, studies of, like, weird music industry things that are just super interesting. And he made a video recently about Robin and how important Robin is to pop music and how she kind of helped create, like, a category for girls who don't really fit into, like, a mainstream um, you know, pop bubble, but are still considered to be, like, a pop act, like, alternative pop girls, girls like Sky Ferreira, and, um, she actually plays a very integral part of the story that we're telling today, Robin, how random, um, so Robin was discovered when she was 14, and she released this, like, pure teen pop album in Sweden that was massively successful, so they then released it in the U.S. where she had these two giant massive hits, Show Me Love and Do You Know What It Takes. Two songs that live in like 90s teen movie infamy forever and are iconic and at that point, Jive basically begged her to sign with them. They were like, "We need you." On several occasions, they contacted her and said, "Like, can we please get you to like become a pop sensation in the United States? Like, we need it." Um, she said no multiple times because Robin wasn't really interested in doing pop music. She really, well, she wanted to do pop, but she didn't want to be signed to a label that was going to turn her into like a, like a product. Um, so when they realized that they weren't able to. They weren't going to be able to convince her. They decided that they would create their own U.S. version of Robin in a Mrs. Britney Jean Spears, a Europop girl that was like also very girl next door and had a bit of an edge. Um, And to do that, they hired the man responsible for Robin's sound named Max Martin. Are you quaked? I was fully quaked when I heard that. I fell through the earth. So, like, basically, in other words, we have Robin to thank in many ways for Britney, which is so crazy. If Robin had decided to sign that contract, there would be no Britney Spears. We wouldn't even know who she was. Um, And it's crazy that later, you know, Robin went on to, like, produce and write for her. Um, You can actually hear Robin. uh, So Robin helped produce and write "Piece of Me and um you can actually hear her in the background like she sings the chorus of the song basically uh like the robotic part saying repeatedly you want a piece of me that's robin um and it also just kind of makes me laugh because a lot of max martin's work especially in the 90s and early 2000s like you know it makes absolutely no sense lyrically because of english being his second language and uh but we have him to thank for you know Any pop song that you basically enjoyed in the last 25 years, like, you can thank Max Martin, because he definitely wrote it and produced it. Um, but I just thought that was so funny. Like, Britney is, Britney is the 90s answer to Robin. Um, and the other really interesting thing is that Britney showed up right on the cusp of, like, the millennial generation sort of looking for something new to define us, Right? Um, which ended up being the teen pop explosion, thanks to, like, NSYNC and the Spice Girls and Backstreet Boys. This was that pre-9-11 innocence and optimism that you hear people talk about all the time. And when I think about what we were angry about, as, you know, specifically as teenagers during this time, and, you know, what kids are having to fight about today on the internet, it's mind-boggling to me. Like, I was pissed off at teachers and my family and, like, Christina Aguilera fans. Like, that was, like, really it for me. You know what I mean? Like, we learned to be politically charged by George Bush, but on a much smaller scale. You know what I mean? Like, 9-11 was the thing that really, like, politically woke all of us up as kids. Um, A much smaller scale than, like, Trump's America, where kids are, like, social justice warriors, because they have to be. And... At 14, I was writing letters to fucking addresses on the inserts of my favorite CDs. You know, imagining them, reading them, and, like, laughing at, like, my middle school, like, wit. And right now, millions of 14-year-olds are overlining their lips to look like fucking Kylie Jenner and posting pictures of their asses on Snapchat as I speak. So it's just a very different—it's a different world. It's just—it's it's crazy to imagine. Um— So between her ninth and 10th grade year, Britney and her family basically got everything in order uh, for her to leave and become a star. Um, Max had basically sent uh, her—well, he didn't basically send the the demo. He he sent her the demo of her song, Baby One More Time, um, where he was singing the entire thing. And uh, she let her boyfriend, Reg Jones, listen to it in her bedroom. And, like, in my mind, I imagine that they were, like, laying in bed and, like, smoking for, like, a bong or something, since apparently Lynn was a cool mom. You know what I mean? Like, a picture they, like, had packed a good old bong, and Brittany was, like, taking a bong rip and telling him about how she was going to be famous, while Lynn is, like, bringing them, like, pimento cheese and crackers. You know what I mean? Uh, And it was during this time that the team had approached Lynn with their plans on how to market Brittany. Lynn was honest with them about the fact that Brittany had lost her virginity a year prior to her boyfriend, um, but they told her that in order for her to compete with, like, the Mariahs and the Celines of the world, that she would have to sort of separate herself and be presented as a Lolita, as an underage, like, sex fantasy for older men. And the added bonus, thanks to her mom, was that she wouldn't just be, you know, a like pedophile's dream like a lolita like sex toy but she would also be a southern bell virgin lolita sex toy a good christian you know what i mean who says yes sir to everything so when carson daly asks you a question in 1998 you respond yes sir in her book lynn does say that she regrets allowing the men in charge to sexualize her daughter so intensely um, when she was first signed but she thought that they knew better again bullshit like lynn was just as much in on it as they were and i mean i think at any point you could have said hey you guys my daughter's 15 can we maybe peel it back a tiny bit (laughs) you know what i mean like come on fuck off um there's this rolling stone article that i've talked about in this podcast for a really long time um it's from 2008 it's at the peak of britney's breakdown it's uh, I think it's called an American tragedy, and there's a quote in it that I love. Well, there's a bunch of quotes in it that I absolutely love. It's some of some of my favorite like Britney exclusives from her entire career, and um, it says in January of 1999, Britney emerged on the national stage with a video uh, for "Baby One More Time" as a Catholic school gr- schoolgirl in pink pom pom hair barrettes. The genius stroke of her creation was that her next single was a ballad with a video featuring her dancing in a white outfit on a pier. By emerging as a vixen and then reverting to a child, she allowed the world to breathe a sigh of relief that her temptress act was was make-believe. She played along. She said, All I did was tie up my shirt. She said to Rolling Stone, I'm wearing shorts and a bra under it. Sure, I'm wearing uh, thigh highs, but kids wear those. It's the style. Have you seen MTV? All those girls in thongs? And uh, Britney's former driver also gave an exclusive in that article where he said, on the road, Britney was humble, washing her dishes, doing her laundry, calling older females assistants, ma'am. We would wake up Britney around 6 a.m. And she'd work on a video for three or four days straight for 20 hours a day, says Abe, her driver for five years. She was a kind, generous sweetheart with a big heart and uh, no poor habits. An unedited goofball and a girly girl who wore flowery, who wrote flowery notes to her friends, burped a lot, and liked practical jokes. Brittany was almost comically naive. And at this point, Jamie was also completely out of her life. Like, he was not in the picture at all. Um, he was at the height of him being an alcoholic because now he had money. And he was no real voice in her life at all. His little girl was out being fucking passed around by all these, like, industry creeps. You know, ha- all these men are sitting around picking out what thongs she should wear for her next, like, photo shoot, and she's 16, and he has no say and doesn't care at all. Um, they also said, It was upsetting for Britney to be around her dad, says a friend. Uh, he came backstage one night, and she w- and he was wasted. She was devastated. Britney would tell her friends that her dad was emotionally abusive, and in 2006, she wrote a poem about him, um, about sins of her father on her website. Now, we've talked a lot about the, um, the old days of Britney's website on this podcast a lot, where she just, she had this section of her website called Stream of Consciousness, where she would write poems and write letters to her fans. And, um, she would write responses to tabloids and responses to, you know, um, just what was going on in her life during that time. And I mean, she wrote in it like almost every other day. And it was really, I mean, it's obviously all been wiped off, but like, it was really some, there was some intense, intense stuff. And if you can get your hands on any of the fucking transcripts from those, uh, from those poems or anything, I mean, it's, it's extremely telling of what she's going through today. So I actually wrote down the, uh, the, the poem about her dad, because I think it's extremely, extremely telling of this, uh, of who this guy is. And especially right now in the, like the free Brittany era. Um, so the poem is called remembrance of who I am. Uh, she said, no more chains that you gave me enough of the pain. Now I'm craving something sweet. So delight. How do you stand sleeping at night? Silly patterns that we follow. You pull me in. I'm being swallowed by the ones you think, by the ones you think you love. They pull you down. Uh, you can't see above. Manipulation is the key. They screw it in because you're naive. You come to me now. Why do you bother? Remember the Bible, the sins of the father. What you do, you pass down. No wonder why I lost my crown. Can we talk? You, what you do, you pass down. Hi. You don't see me now. You ask yourself why. My crown is back and, I, and it's way too high. For you to be in my presence, especially my son, You should bow down. I've only just begun. The guilt you fed me. You made me weak. The voodoo you did. I couldn't speak. You're awakening. Your phone is ringing. Resurrection of my soul. The fear I'm bringing. What will you say? And what will you do? She's not the same person that you're used to. You tricked me once, twice. Now it's three. Look who's smiling now. Damn, it's good to be me. And then at the end she wrote, this is for everyone who thinks they know me, but they don't. And I would also just like to remind you, (laughs) That in uh, 2009, Courtney Love did post on her Facebook, who is um, really good friends with Sam Lufty for some reason and was like weirdly involved in Britney's inner circle during that time. Um, I'm just going to read the Courtney Love quote. I think you all have heard it. And Courtney has actually reemerged recently um, post uh, Free Britney. She was having like a really intense conversation on Instagram with David LeChapelle, that made a lot of headlines recently where they were talking about how uncomfortable they were with a lot of what they had seen behind the scenes of Britney, especially David LaChapelle. I mean, he's been responsible for so many of like the most controversial moments of her career. And, you know, I mean, he was the person that basically introduced her to us as like a sex kitten in that first Rolling Stone, that first Rolling Stone photo shoot, which I don't wholeheartedly believe, um, I mean, I think that David LaChapelle is a fucking creep. Like, I re- remember reading an article where she talked about that photo shoot years later. And she talked about being, like, manipulated on set and how, you know, she didn't know the pictures were going to turn out like that. It was her first big photo shoot that she had ever done. Um, you know, she was, like, in her bedroom and he told her to undo her sweater and, you know, pull her underwear down more and, you know, stand in front of these dollies and... She even says, like, you know, I was so naive, like, I thought at the time that he just wanted to, like, show off my dolls, like, I really had no idea that I was kind of being manipulated and exploited, and the pictures were a lot, and, you know, and she got blamed for those, a 16-year-old girl getting blamed for, like, a man in his 30s telling her to unbutton her sweater and, like, you know, show her, like, pubic line. I mean, it's just, like, it's fucking insane. Anyways, I'm going to read the Courtney Love quote. Uh, this is from her Facebook. She said, Brittany's dad molested her. Imagine the father that molested you, owning you for slavery while you're forced to sing songs picked out for their sexual content every night. It's insane, right? I have it on first-hand authority, and fight as hard as she is and does. She still, put, she still didn't pull that card. It's a pride thing that I can relate to. However, they want to play dirty, so let's go. I'm so not afraid of the little trolls who hit this when... Uh, who hit this when I was fucked up, and they know who they are. They're called lawyers, so let's go. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I don't know that to be true or not to be true, but I really honestly wouldn't... Like, it's a gross and really dark thing to say, but, like, look at the trajectory of Britney's career. Look at how she was introduced to the world and what her parents allowed. Also, her life before she became famous. I mean, it's really not that far off to think that her dad was inappropriate with her. I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Um, the first real, speaking of the first real major controversy in Britney's career came in the form of two saline filled bags that were surgically placed in her breasts and then quickly removed due to public outcry. The infamous implants. So, Brittany and her mom made the decision to do the implants, according to Rolling Stone, based on the assumption that the culture demanded it when she was 16. And the major gag was that the blatant difference from the Baby One More Time era to her video for Sometimes was so major, like, specifically in the live performances of that song. Um, there was one, and I don't remember specifically what show it was on. I want to say it was on a talk show but i remember how insane she's wearing like a white she's wearing like the the some the sometimes white turtleneck crop top um and it looked like she prof- like literally hired a professional nipple tweaker like they were the only thing you could focus on her giant engorged hard as rock fake boobs and her nipples stabbing through her shirt it was the talk of the town the next day, it was the only thing people were talking about that Britney had these big, giant, rock-hard boobs. Um, Rolling Stone also said, when Britney saw the paper, she was crying in the bathtub uncontrollably, asking, why is everybody being so mean, she says. Uh, says a friend, it was very hurtful for her to go through something so private, um, but so publicly. Britney regretted the implants, particularly because her chest was still growing, and when her natural breast became larger, she had the implants removed. And then Darren Henson, who was a choreographer who worked with her and Christina Aguilera during this time uh, for like five years, said when other girls did their boobs, they were like, yeah, I did my boobs, move on. But Britney was brought up to lie about herself. Gradually, she became uh, she began to lose her confidence. Britney would come off stage after performing in front of 15 to 16,000 people and start crying because she thought she was terrible. Um, That girl doesn't know who she is. Um, And the interesting thing, because when you think about it, like her team gave the world basically permission to make fun of her, right, and berate her and attack her and question her. Um, Because it was obvious that a lot of the stuff she was saying was lies and that she was being told to lie about things that she probably wouldn't lie about otherwise. So it gave us permission to then be combative with her about it, you know, and attack her and like bully her and punish her for it. So, like, so many of the controversies in her life that she, you know, that sort of went to became things that, like, defined her, they were all things that could have been squashed had they just allowed her to speak, you know, a sincere thought when she was younger. And it's also fascinating because she completely, in my opinion, it's crazy, she's come so full circle, in a sense, like, you know, she went from being this sort of polite Southern Belle, terrified of saying or doing the wrong thing very charming girl, you know, obsessed with perfection and being liked by everybody, um, to then becoming this sort of, like, rebellious young woman, still insecure um, about who she is, you know, maybe a bit more willing to speak up because she's been through a little bit more, but, you know, still sort of, like, stuck in between, to then, like, a full-fledged, like, punk rock, zero fucks, very depressed but also kind of badass who would tell you to look at it, it, suck it and fuck it if you asked her for an, an autograph or something um and now we reverted back to this extremely shy, polite, insecure southern woman um being held captive, you know, incapable of having like a genuine thought. And for years there was a sort of um back and forth between Britney's team and the label Uh, And her family also on how much she should and shouldn't be working. You know, if she was, you know, maybe working too much or if they should allow her to take time off. And by the standards of any human being, like saying she was overworked would be an absolute understatement. She was allotted an hour per day to herself contractually. Um, And every other hour of the day was basically fair game. Uh, she worked pretty much every single day of the year, and she was also bribed on a regular basis if she ever decided to put her foot down. Um, her former driver from that Rolling Stone article also said that the people around her would be gifted um, shopping sprees if they could manipulate her into doing more work. So if her management found out that like a hairdresser got her to do an extra, you know, six hours on a music video, then they would buy her something. The hairdresser. Um, You know, she was doing a music video. She would work, you know, four days in a row on the video for 20 hours per day, starting at 5 a.m. And then her time off was an hour during a day where she was maybe going to do photo shoots. Like, completely inappropriate for a 16-year-old girl. Uh, When Britney turned 18, her team put her on Prozac to help with her extreme anxiety, which would lead to depression and panic attacks. Her anxiety attacks would get so bad that she would apparently wake up crying, you know, having these major fits, not being able to sleep through the night. Um, she would only be able to sleep if she was extremely exhausted. So, she would allow her team to basically basically work her to the bone just so that she could sleep through the night. Um, and her moods were starting to swing like this was the first the first time that people started to notice that she was having these extreme mood swings. And she was also taking her Prozac, not as prescribed, but sort of as, like, aspirin. So whenever she felt a panic attack coming, she would just, like, pop a couple Prozacs. Similar to what I mentioned in the uh, Brittany and Kevin episode, that when she was taking those, like, schizophrenic medications that um, Sam Lufty was giving her, she was popping them whenever she was having anxiety. So she went her entire life, like, not really knowing how to properly medicate herself. Um, and actually a couple of years prior when she was 16, there was, uh, Lynn actually wrote about this in her book. There was a cocaine and, uh, weed issue where she was basically boarding a plane and they found drugs on her. Um, and there was something that Lynn, I think, fought tooth and nail to like not become like a big news story, but it did get around that Brittany, you know, had been caught with Coke basically. Can we end on a happy note, please, for the love of Christ, my God, for the love of everything Kabbalah, can we please end on a happy note? Um, Can we talk about Baby one more time a little bit? Because I never have been able to on the podcast, like just selfishly. Um, So during the production of this album, she was paired with a producer named Eric Foster White, who is noted as being the man responsible um, for... Basically teaching her how to sing in her nasal voice, uh, which he calls Britney's distinctive, unmistakable Britney voice, less in her lower register. And I bring this up because I see it all the time on the internet, especially like with younger people uh, who like weren't around in 1998 or were maybe born around that time. Younger people who watch old videos of Britney singing in her deeper voice And they're shocked by the fact that her voice is actually like pretty deep and that her nasal voice is something that was created by her label, in my opinion, to go along with like the whole Lolita thing. Like, I don't think that, of course, it's like more of a pop sound, but it's also like, look, I'm a little baby girl. You know what I mean? So we have this kind of thing for basically ruining her vocal cords and brainwashing America to think that that's how she sounds. Um but originally when britney wanted to do this album she was inspired by cheryl Crow's tuesday night music club which is ironic one of my all-time favorite albums like will be played at my funeral tuesday night music club is everything so the fact that that's where her head was like i'm living um but of course they pushed her in a more pop direction to which she agreed because she could quote dance to it And one of the things that I love about this album and that Britney stands, first of all, Britney stands to the front because you're the only people who will understand what I'm about to say. If you're not a Britney stand, then you're about to learn something. This album is extremely weird. And I'm saying that with gratitude, again, with love and grace and admiration. Real Britney fans know that the magic of a Britney album, and the magic of Britney's whole discography, is how fucking weird it is. There is a general theme behind all of her albums, of course, but for the most part, the songs are all really experimental sonically, and they're just weird. Um, And the reason for that, and this is just my opinion, is because Britney has always been A little bit of a producer's dream in the sense that she is sort of a blank slate she's like down for whatever and musically she can kind of pull off whatever it is that you throw at her um that's also the reason that i think britney fans all have like a very specific version of britney that they love because there's so many and it's not the same as like a madonna where it's like oh i love um i love like hippie mom madonna ray of light no or, or, or like other people's madonna's You know what i'm trying to say now i'm stuttering stanley but you know what i'm trying to say like other people's favorite madonna those are eras britney has like modes that she goes into where it's like these extremely different versions of herself in the same album britney fans know what i'm talking about if you're not a britney fan you think i sound crazy right now if you are you are like laughing seeking the truth never gets old